What is the wisdom of God? It's been said that confession is good for the soul. It relieves stress and guilt. It relieves pain and inner conflict. And it's the doorway to forgiveness with God and with people in our relationships. I want, I want you to pay close attention to this clip from Les Mis. It's Jean Valjean. He's sitting in a courtroom, and another man is being accused of something he did and to relieve uh, his guilt, so to speak, and he, he, he makes this confession. So I think there's some meaning in this. Let's watch. Jean Valjean. We served 19 years together in prison. He looks older, of course. Looks stupider, too. That's probably age. Monsieur le Président, I call the convict... You may step down. Lombard to the stand. The accused should remain standing. I repeat my warning. A man's life can be destroyed by your answer. Do you recognize the accused? I can't help but recognize him. We did five years on one chain. What's the matter with you, eh? No, hello. Hey? Do you miss me, eh? Uh, hello? <laughs> I call Bertin to the stand. I warn you as well. Your answer can ruin a man. Do you recognize the accused? Yeah. He's Jean Valjean. Monsieur le Président, may I address the court? Yes, uh, yes certainly, Monsieur le Maire. Breve, Lomba, Bertin, look at me. Do you recognize me? I recognize you, Breve. You were an informer in too long. I see you're still a snitch. Valjean. Hello, Breve. And you, Lombard, don't look at my fancy clothes. Don't look at my scrape chin. Look at my eyes. You call yourself godless, right? You've got a scar on your left shoulder. I gave it to you the night you tried to kill me, remember? When I pinned you over the stove. It is you. Show the court your scar. Bertin, the hollow of your left arm. There's a date tattooed, 1789, the year of the revolution. Show them. I know these men, Monsieur le Président, and they know me. I am the man you want. I am Jean Valjean. Monsieur le Maire, I know you to be a kind man. A kind? Yes. A kind man? When I was in prison, I was as ignorant and mean and devious as these men here, but not kind. And I wish I could keep my mouth shut and let this poor right suffer for me. But... Continue with the investigation, monsieur. You will find further proof that I am Valjean. 
a great analogy of many of us before Christ. And see, Jean Valjean told how he was, and then we come into the kingdom, and hopefully we become kind and benevolent and compassionate and all the things that come with being like Jesus. But then we realize, as we talked a little bit about last week, some things don't change so much. Sometimes we bring habits and some baggage, if you will, into the kingdom with us. And then we come to, to church or we read the word and the Holy Spirit starts knocking on the heart and it convicts us. And that's where confession comes in. Because we humans always have issues and sins to confess. Some of us, it's pretty much every day. Jesus died, an innocent man in our place for all the sins we've committed in our past. Can you imagine, regardless of your age, in your life, how many sins that you have committed? They're gone when we ask for forgiveness and confess. He died for the sins that we're going to commit in the present and all sins that we will commit in the future. And it's been this way since the beginning of time. And it will not stop God grabs your heart and squeezes it and kills you on the spot. That's a little rash maybe, but that's what he does. Oh, we think we can kill ourselves sometimes, and maybe sometimes we try by the way we drive and the way we treat our bodies. Nonetheless, the ultimate decision of God to stop your heart is that that's when you're taken out unless you take your own life, and that opens up a whole other arena. We go back to the Church of England in 1662, and we find this prayer of confession, the general confession. It's from the Book of Common Prayer. And we think in our lives and how much has changed between 1662 and 2018. But the problem of mankind being sinners and us needing to confess to our holy God has not changed. And the prayer reads like this, Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed, by thought, word, and deed, against thy divine, almighty, divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous to us. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us, have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life, to the honor and glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the most amazing language, this prayer gives expression to the bankruptcy and helplessness of man's best. And we can ever be apart from the grace of God and the redemption that is in Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've been in the book of Corinthians, which is a kind of a sticky book because it pretty much opens up all of, exposes us humans for who we are and what we're capable of and what was capable in the church at that time. Paul had uh, got some letters and realized that there was sin in the camp in Corinth and it had to be dealt with that He was wanting them to get to that point where they admit that sin and confess it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. It's like 
Jean Valjean had to get that off his, 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 his conscience, so to speak. And that's what happens with us when God convicts us. So the Holy Spirit speaks through the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were like us today in many ways. And one of the, the ways that they thought they were smarter than God. They had things figured out and they, they listened to God, but they didn't, they, they didn't really grasp what he was trying to say, that they thought that they, they had more knowledge and wisdom than him. Well, this is what Paul tells them, starting with uh, verse 19, and we are in 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 31. As the scriptures say, God bless you, I will destroy human wisdom and discard their most brilliant ideas. Now, this is the word of God as he speaks to humans. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. God's way seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven to prove it is true. And it is foolish to the Greeks because they believe only what agrees with their own wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jew and Gentiles, Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of humans' plans, and God's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Christ to be wisdom itself. He is the one who made us acceptable to God. He made us pure and holy, and he gave us himself to purchase our freedom, as the scriptures say. The person who wishes to boast should boast only of what the Lord has done. Paul started out this letter reminding the Corinthians that Paul himself had come to Corinth. He'd planted this church. And he planted this church for a reason, to go into that community and be salt and light and to flavor it, to bring Christ to that community and to change their part of the world. And I think that's something that you and I need to be reminded of constantly, that we exist here to make disciples and teach them, and that's, that's why we're here. We're here to be salt. We're here to be light. Corinth was known for its divisions. They liked to argue. They liked to fight. And they liked to party. Boasting of their culture, the city was bankrupt in morality. I, I've, I've went on and on about that. We, we think that sometimes we live in a, an immoral culture, but... It wasn't, Corinth was even more immoral than a lot of present day cities today. And I've told you that before in, in a lot of different ways. So Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, plants this church. And this church is there to make a difference. But the problem was, as Paul was getting this information back, that the church wasn't influencing the community. 
The community was seeping in and influencing the church. There were things happening in the church that, that should not be. So he's bringing them back to square one about their sin and what they need to be doing. The remedy for the situation, Paul says, lies not in philosophy, but in the revelation of the Son of God and by the Holy Spirit in their life. See what happens in a church when it goes into its own intellectual understanding. You know what? I think I can, we can interpret this a little different way. We can interpret it this way. To, so, And uh, the clergy have been guilty of that, that they might interpret that for their benefit or whatever. That they have set themselves above. But here in the church of Corinth, with their wisdom, they thought their wisdom was smarter than God's. But when a church gets away from the Word of God and it starts to add or take away from the Scripture or make it say what they want, there, there's a problem because they lose their power. And believers, instead of becoming more and more like Jesus, which is the point, when you and I started down this road with Christ, we talked about being a lump of clay and, and God trying to make us and mold us like Jesus, because that's what the world needs. It doesn't need another Eddie. It needs another Jesus, and that's why he wants to work through us to make us and mold us, to put them in our spheres of influence, whatever that might be, to influence them with the love of Christ. That, that is the point. But if the Bible's not approached that way, it's approached on the basis of what I cannot understand, I'll change or discard. If I don't like a passage, if it doesn't go my way, I'll scratch it out or don't read that part. There's a lot of people who don't read parts of the Bible because it convicts them and they don't want to hear that. They want the Bible to say what they want it to say. If a person wants to commit adultery, they want the Bible to tell them that that's okay to, to go sleep with people. Or I can go on and on. There's a lot of different things that people have rationalized away. And when you start to rationalize the Scripture, you you got a problem because you, 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 you've lost its power. You have nothing to stand on. It's, it's in the world that we live today, is like I said, about not having absolutes. My friends, this is my absolute. There are others in life, perhaps, but nothing like this one. This is the absolute, period, with the exclamation, quotation mark, and the whole ball of wax. That's, this, this is what it is. This, it's the Word of God. And if we do not have this to line up with, what will we line up with? What will be our truth? Who says this is wrong? You know, and we are in a world today that, post-truth world, that there are no absolutes, that the Bible's outdated, and it's not even true, and on and on and on. I can yammer on about that all day. Paul says you've got to go back to the wisdom of God, which is this, 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God, both righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that's the wisdom of God that he's trying to explain to them and bringing it back in front of them, which he brings it back in front of us as well. The wisdom was given to establish righteousness, to produce sanctification, and holiness. The righteousness of God... Is foolishness to the world, that it's rubbish, that it has no meaning. God has been driven off Yale, Princeton. I can name all the, the, the major universities that were started to train people to follow God and to be pastors and clergy and leaders. God is driven. He is not to be mentioned there. And if he is, you are ridiculed. And this is the place that we're getting to. 
Every place of higher uh, education in the world of higher learning has banned God because they don't believe that he is relevant and has any place in the education of children. I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe you can enlighten me on this. When I was in grade school, the Gideons would come and give Bibles. Do Gideons still give Bibles away in schools? No, I didn't think so because the Word of God should not be mentioned in public education. That is, that is, the, that is Satan's tool, and it's working. I can yammer on and on about that. That was one of the things that amazed me about Russia in the early 90s. At that time, they allowed us to go in high schools and grade schools, even lunchrooms of factories, preach the Word, invite people to come to Christ, and give them Bibles. We gave out thousands of Bibles because of that. I don't think that I could probably go uh, to Solomon High School and walk in any classroom and disrupt the class and start preaching the Word and pass out Bibles. I think I'd be escorted to the door. And that's just the way that it is. But we, this is the world in which we live in. And Paul said if we get away from that wisdom, we're going down a rocky, rocky road and, and, and it's not going to turn out so good. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. There faces us these two principles, this choice. And the tragedy today, I think, is <clears throat> excuse me, that many churches have chosen its own wisdom and lost its power. It's not relevant. It has no meaning. That's why people don't go to church. Church has no meaning. What can the church do for me? Or what, what are they doing in the world? <clears throat> I believe that's why here at Crossroads, we're so big on outreach because they can see that we're trying to, to do some things, that we're, we're building some orphanages, we're doing stuff in Haiti, we're trying to, to help feed people and do things in this community. That's what the church is about, but it's all through the power of Christ and the whole premise is that people say, that's what Jesus is like, that's, you know, that's, that's what he should be doing. Well, let's look at these three words briefly, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What is the word Righteousness. Here is the wisdom of God, for it means that somehow God is able to take somebody that is bent, that is crushed, that is twisted, that in some cases even vile, and take that person and in a, in, in, in a simple, contrite prayer, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. He brings us into the kingdom. He gives us a new standing, and all this stuff in our past is gone. I'm, I'm new. I'm new in the image of Christ. That's a huge miracle. I don't know of any other institution or body in the world that can take one person and, 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 and in a prayer of confession and redemption and put them over here and they're, they're brand new. No, no one else offers that. It's an amazing thing to me. His grace can remake us in the image of Christ. There's a lot of miracles in here this morning. Where, where would you be without Christ? Uh, I, I shudder to thank, and I say this a lot, and I know I repeat myself. I'm 68 years old. You have to give me a break. So, senior citizen. I didn't think I'd ever be a senior citizen. Don't, don't call me that to my face. I can't stand it. But anyhow, <laughs> you forget stuff, but, but I, 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 I do. I do. You know what? The statement I was going to make, I forgot it already. <laughs> and I was going to say it, and I say it all the time, but, I, you know... A lot of miracles in here. I, I guess that's what I was going to say, that as we look around, that many of us, and one of the, what I was going to say was, I'm, I'm, 
I'm really happy that my wife has stayed with me for almost 50 years, and I got to raise my own kids. I know I say it a lot, but it's a big deal to me. It, it really, really, it really is. And that's because of Christ, that I was going down a wrong road, and he took me and put me on the, on the right path. The righteousness of God is not a dry doctrine. I think sometimes we theology, see theology as dry. It's the act of a holy God that brought him down from the throne of heaven, which we can't grasp what heaven's like, took him to be born in a manger, took him down that rocky road up Calvary's hill, nailed him to that cross to cleanse us from sin and make us whole because we can't do it ourselves. To use a theological phrase, it means Christ imputed to me, imputed, came into, come to dwell in. That is the moment that I cease from my own effort and trust the living Christ for salvation. And at that moment, God the Father sitting on his throne sees Eddie as righteous, as just, as clean. We can't grasp that. Because Satan has a, has a way of making us still feel dirty. That when we mess up, that we have a bad thought, when we say a bad thing, when we do a bad act, Satan wants to take you back to where you were in this bent and twisted and gnarled place of sin. Christ doesn't see us that way. I'll tell you something. He, you know, like I said, and like Steve said as well, you know, We talk about the mud a lot, but, it, but it's true. When I came to Calvary, a guilty man, knowing that I was nothing in myself, and I accepted God's grace, he made me right. But that's not the last word in the Christian experience, but the first, actually. A lot of us had habits, maybe we still do, that's not good for us. Like it's a whole list of them. You can't categorize a habit. It doesn't... A lot of them aren't good for our bodies, but nonetheless, we still do them. And then we wonder why it gets us in bad, but whatever. But these habits that we had in our old life sometimes, when we come to Christ, we, we hopefully, with the power of the Holy Spirit, helps us form new habits. Uh, new habits of, of reading God's Word, and, and not once a week, but, but, but every day. Of, of praying of telling others about Jesus, and they become to be habits, that they're good habits, and hopefully we will continue to do them. And that, that's sanctification. It's a setting apart. This is the wisdom of God, which means not only that Christ is imputed to me, but that the life of Jesus is imparted. I recognize that I am separated from God's will and service, and therefore I must be yielded to whatever He wants me to do and wherever He wants me to go. I think that's an issue with some people. I've known tons of people that were called to do stuff and wouldn't do it. God wanted them to, but they wouldn't do it. it and that's, that's the part of being sanctified as far as being set apart it, to do God's will in, in, in our life. And it's not the fact I know this because I see other people, but I have to live with myself seven days a week. I'm the one that looks in the mirror every morning. It's, and and you, you're the same way. It's like I said before, we like, we're like pigs. We like the mud. We, we've all been taken by Christ and washed by the power of the blood of Christ, and we've been cleaned up, restored, and redeemed. Yet on occasion, we, we like to go back, waller in that mud. And sometimes you just, 
stick your foot in, you pull it out, and your foot's muddy, and then you're going to have to clean it off. But you know what? In all honesty, a lot of us come in here every Sunday. If you look real close, there might be a little mud oozing out of your ear or under your fingernail or whatever. God helps us take care of that. Regardless of what that is, that's where the conviction. If you are in Christ, God convicts you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it has to be. It's the way that it is. And then when he does that, the amazing thing about God is I don't have to... I don't have penance to do. He's done that for me. I don't have to go do this and that or say so many sayings or whatever. I've just got to say, Lord, I am sorry. Would you please forgive me for that sin? And boom, he does. That, that, that just blows me away that we think, man, that, that's easy. But it's not easy because that sin that you just committed, when you see those pictures of that bloodied Savior on the cross, that's your sin and that's my sin. So it brings it more to me a little personal and into focus when I think of it that way, actually. We allow Satan to keep us down where we ought to be growing in the likeness of Christ. And I would interject here, there's nobody in all God's universe is more orthodox than Satan. He knows the truth. He knows every bit of it. He knows this Bible from front to back. He knows every word in it, and he can use it against us, actually. And as you and I can know the word, too, and still not be a believer, the rest, test of genuine faith is that there is submission to him, and there is a growth. That whenever you bent the knee, bent your heart to Christ, that you're not that same person. That there's been some growth in there. There has to be. That, and that's, that's our test of whether we're in the faith or not, actually. The last word's redemption. It's a word that occurs only 11 times in the Scripture. It refers, and it goes to the future, on that tremendous day when you and I will one day stand face to face with Jesus Christ our Lord. That, it, it refers to that. It's, it's, it's the very presence of God when we see Him that we're fully redeemed. And there is a sense in which a man is redeemed in the moment he's forgiven, but there is a great deal yet to be done in the man or the woman. Now we are the sons of God, says John, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2. Redemption is the completion and fulfillment of all the purposes of God. It's that day when we finally understand that when we look out on the world, that when we come to Christ, that hopefully we put on Jesus' glasses, that we see people as Christ sees them. We don't see their past. We don't see the grudges that we had against them. We don't, we don't bring all this other stuff that we've heard in a small town of what they've done, what they're capable of, blah, blah, blah. We see them as God sees them, a redeemable person if they're not already redeemed. And if they are redeemed, we see them as brothers and sisters, that we lock hands and hearts together and do life together, not judging, but loving and trying to help each other and hold each other accountable, which is a big task, actually. You see the problem when man's philosophy, man's intellect, man's ability takes over the church instead of God's wisdom. We discover that the church has no authority in spiritual matters, has no spiritual power, nothing to bring hope and blessing to a hurting world. We have nothing to offer. But... On the other hand, when a church 
embraces and breathes in and out and uses and follows the Word of God, Jesus himself said, I will build this church, and the gates of hell itself cannot prevail against us. That is the power of the church that's under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the wisdom of God and the power of God. The righteousness of God puts a person back in the center of God's will. The sanctification that God brings to a person makes him grow day by day in the likeness of Christ and the redemption of God one day will lift him faultless into the very presence of Christ. And that is the message of the cross. You realize that half a dozen followers of Christ on their knees for 60 minutes waiting upon the Lord with absolutely no answer, no human ideas, can accomplish more than 50 people that sit around the table and talk for a year. And God asks, where can I find such a group of people? <laughs> Hopefully, he's speaking to us. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We have two alternatives to choose from in life. We can choose the philosophy of man, all the intellectual part, or we can choose the wisdom of God. If we choose the wisdom of man, there is no power in that, no supernatural power, only other than Satan. And in the wisdom of God is, is the power of the Holy Spirit. So you and I have to decide which one of those that we will operate under, actually. You know, I don't like to glory in myself and all the things that's happened here in Sullivan at Crossroads, it is because God gets the glory. It's, it's not what we've done, it's what he's done and that's, we've tried to stay on that, on that path, if you will. Not I but Christ, Paul said in Galatians 2.20 and that's hard for us sometimes. But this morning, if it's your desire to follow the wisdom of God, would you stand with me in unity in the power of God and the message of the cross? And I want us to pray this general confession from 1662 together out loud because it is still as relevant on September 9, 2018 as it was in 1662. Let's begin. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous to us. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son and Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life, to the honor and glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, I do pray that more than anything else that we can all leave clean this morning with nothing between us. 
Because I know, Lord, when we don't confess our sin in our life, it causes a separation from you. So these are the people that I love, Lord, and I lift them up to you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as you have spoken to us, that we're dishonest. And whatever that might be that we need to confess or get rid of, we might do that before we leave this place. Thanks again for loving us. I thank you for this dear family, Lord. Make us who you want us to be. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. of love that's calling There's a chair that waits for you And a friend who understands everything you're going through But you keep standing at a distance In the shadow of your shame There's a light of hope that's shining Won't you come and take your place And bring it all to the table There's nothing here seen before for all your sin and all your sorrow and your sadness there's a savior and he calls bring it all to the table he can see the weight you carry the fears that hold your heart
done this morning that we brought to the table, laid it down, and left it with you, and let you deal with it. We can leave this place completely free. Thank you for that. I love these guys. Just ask your blessing upon them. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We are happy today that uh, the native son, Logan McKinney, is back from uh, Coast Guard. Come on up here, Logan. Everybody look at you. Boy, he looks good, don't he? Yep. Love you, man. Yep. I'm surprised he wore these civvies today, but I know after you get out of boot camp, it's good to just wear regular clothes for a while. He's going to baptize his brother Clayton this morning, which I think is a big deal. Come up here, Clayton. I want to ask you a few questions. You guys just stand right there, and then we'll, we'll go up there. And I don't think he'll hold you under too long. He does love you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Clayton, when we get baptized, it's an outward sign of an interchange that Jesus has come and dwells in your heart now. Do you, I want to ask you these questions. Do you believe in God the Father, infinite in wisdom, goodness, and love, and in Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord and Savior, and in the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Jesus and makes them clear to us? If you believe that, say, I do. I do. Will you strive to know the will of God as taught in the Holy Scriptures and to walk in the ways of the Lord made known or to be made known to you? If, that's, if so, say, I will. Do you confess your sins unto Almighty God and put your trust in Him and promise in His strength to follow His commandments and walk from this day forward in His ways? If so, respond, I do. I do. do you seek to yield yourself unto God that the same Spirit which was in Jesus Christ may be in you and that you may be His disciple, not in name only, but in deed and in truth? If so, respond, I do. Lord, I thank you for this young man. I thank you for his brother that wants to do this this morning. I thank you for this family. And Lord, I just pray this will be a meaningful time for Clayton, that he understands that uh, the old life's under the water and the new life's on top. And as he comes out, that, that he's going to be a great witness for you in life. I just thank you and love him, Lord. Just ask that you bless this time. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. See you guys up there. Well, I think this is a great testimony song. Won't we go ahead and stand it, stand and sing it? And uh, it's called This Is My or My Story. This is my story. If I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story,
These ever two guys ever had a fight, have they, Danielle? Probably not in their lives, but uh, what a big deal that this brother can share in one of the highlights of uh, this young man's life. So, Clayton McKinney on the confession of your faith, the beads with the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your brother Logan now baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Well, I tell you, the uh, the greatness of that testimony now is placed in Clayton as he continues on with his journey, and and uh, God is so good. And in fact, we're going to reply uh, reprise. I think that's what the word is, right? Reprise the song, counting every blessing. So why don't we do that? When we stand, and as Clayton comes, as dries off and comes down here, you can join him and, and welcome him in or congratulate him. And uh, let's just sing this song that. Uh, was presented here this morning from brand new. Let's sing the chorus. I am counting every blessing, counting every blessing, letting go and trusting when I cannot see. I am counting every blessing, counting every blessing, surely every season you are
saving us We are here And we are here